1: Hello, hello, hello. I'm your Got Mick. This with the Most is Michael Munoz. And welcome to In Yo Mouth! Oh. In Yo Mouth. I'm the queen of food who's always Sheed. in the mood. To lick it right, lick it good. Oh, show oh, you how to. Oh, push. God, that's good. I want to know what you eat from the streets to the sheets. So open wide, honey. I'm coming. In Yo Mouth. I got a <laughs> Hey there, and welcome back, folks! Once again, I'm your hostess with the Mostis Munoz, and I mean we are plowing along through this year. The weather is nicer. We are getting out there to exercise. Well, at least I am, uh, or trying to. At least I should say. You know, um, it's it's uh, beautiful to like dine outside now, as opposed to like dining outside in the middle of a winter when it was. You know, in the middle of a blizzard, and you were freezing uh, with the heaters and whatnot. You know, things are good. Good vibes. Uh, special announcement today: there is a puppy in the studio, so you may hear. Uh, it's also a very needy puppy in the studio, but I'm very excited to have um, him with me here. His name is Chewy, and um, as we get back to work, you know, a friend just needed some help watching his pup while he was. Out and about working. So I volunteered because what? It takes a village. And yeah, so if you hear along with the sirens and things in, um, in my tiny Times Square studio, if you hear a, a little bit of a needy puppy, but hopefully he'll be good because he's having a little peanut butter treat. Hopefully that doesn't upset his tummy, right? Because <laughs> I am not a dog owner. But I am really excited just for today and to get on with the getting on Um Folks, I don't think you're ready for today's guest. I had the pleasure of having a brunch at Jam's Restaurant, which is uh, the One Hotel Central Park um, the restaurant in the one hotel, Central Park. And as I was dining and whatnot, I got to meet this beautiful woman who is the head chef. So please help me welcome the one, the only, Ms. Ginger Pierce. Say hi. Good
0: morning. Good morning.
1: Yes, thanks. Good morning to you. I'm a little worse for wear, as I told you, because this pop like kept me up a little bit.
0: Well, you look fabulous. I would never know. I would never
1: know. Well, thank you. Thank you for your kind words this morning. How are you?
0: Doing fantastic. Uh, Loving spring weather and the blossoms that are out.
1: The blossoms and those white trees that make the city like stink. Right?
0: Yeah, for sure, <laughs> it's like grandma's house, but you know, with lots of other smells mixed in.
1: Yeah, it's something. There's a, there's a whole debate on what they smell like, and it is a too early in the morning to get into it. Like you can look it up in your mouth, listeners. You can just look it up on the internet. You know, we get down and dirty here sometimes, but I'm not in. The mood. <laughs> it's a so just early, right. So, yeah, Google Google is your friend. But you know what? In your mouth, listeners, in case you didn't know, and you should know, Ginger Pierce is the executive chef for One Hotel Central Park and Jams Restaurant. But is also friend to friend to the pod, Chef Denovan Miranda, who was on episode 159, and also friend of Andre Springer, also known as Miss Shaquanda of Shaquanda's Hot Sauce episode 162 if you wanted to revisit or you're new to these parts uh she got her start at a vegan raw food restaurant in Marin County called Rock Sands and describes herself as being a portlandia level vegan now i never watched uh portlandia but that seems pretty intense right but this I, was
0: i was i was <laughs> I'm
1: a reformed Portlandia-level vegan. I mean, well, we'll get into it. She has worked at many notable restaurants since moving to New York City in 2004, including Barbuto. And the resume is really, really impressive, folks. Now, as you know, Indian Mouth listeners, or if you're new around here, you know, we are a big gay food podcast celebrating LGBTQ people. In the food industries, but is also important here on the pod, especially to me, to celebrate women in the food industry and our allies who help us, you know, navigate and change the face of what kitchen culture looks like. So I'm really, really happy to have you here. But before we get anywhere, Ginger, in the grand tradition of In Your Mouth, I need to wish you happy National Chocolate Covered Cashews (laughs)
0: um okay i love cashews so that's i'm into that
1: i didn't know chocolate covered cashews was a thing or whatever
0: i don't know we do we're actually doing a vegan cashew crunch granola at the restaurant right now which is delicious but chocolate and cashews yeah i i do love um like cashew butter in a chocolate
1: yeah, like oh, um, what's that restaurant? There's a restaurant out there that's not a sponsor of this podcast that does like a cashew filled kind of chocolate, like take on a Reese's sort of.
0: Yeah, I can get thing. down with that. That's yeah, hilarious. I
1: could I could get down with that too. I just didn't realize like it uh, was it was yeah. such a thing that it needed an entire day. Who knew? You know, I often ask guests on this pod. Where do you think this, like, whole National Food Day trend came from? Like, why why do we need a day for everything?
0: I have no idea. But, I mean, I guess it could have started with the Italians because they have a feast day for, like, everything, right? It seems like they always have a holiday. Oh, um, so
1: we're blaming the Italians for
0: that? <laughs> I, I wouldn't blame them. They they seem really cool. Siesta, you know. It's, in American <laughs> culture, we need more of that, right? Celebrate. Yeah.
1: A little bit more celebration. Listen, it's a good blame. We can pl- place this good blame on the Italians. Any reason to party, you okay. know, yeah. I- I'm here for. I am here for coffee cheers, by the way. If you're out there, we are recording mm. a little ASMR for your morning, folks. Mm. What
0: kind of coffee are you drinking?
1: Um, I. You know what? I used to be a really big coffee snob, and I still kind of am. Because um, I went from drinking no coffee To drinking all the coffee And then becoming a coffee snob But, you know, my Puerto Rican mother Just taught me right And it's Bustelo all the way love it. And, love and it your, And yourself?
0: I am supporting my Williamsburg family at Partners I love Partners so.
1: Par- I don't know if I've had Partners
0: Partners, the original one Is on um, 6th Street And between Bedford and Barrie but they used to be. Oh my God! What were they called before? They used to be another coffee shop, and then the the partners kind of went their separate ways. And their coffee is really good. But now they just opened a little thing with um, Butcher's Daughter on on the Williamsburg one on Metropolitan. And awesome. they put a little
1: outpost. So Awesome. You know, uh India Mouth listeners, so if you're you're in New York and you happen to visit Williamsburg, uh take Chef Ginger Pierce's recommendations and go. You know, th- it's so funny. Um And we're, like, off the rails already, um, which I love. But it's so funny. Remember when, like, um, small batch coffee was really, really popular? And, you know, like, it, it was, like, the fair trade movement. And now it's just these small batch coffee shops are almost the norm now. Like, whatever happened to, like, that sort of, like, movement? I feel like it, like, just fell to the wayside and now, like everybody's just opening up coffee shops just because we can.
0: It's, I mean, I think it's the best. I think it's wonderful because I, I miss that that culture. I remember Gimme Coffee. Um, they were like in Williamsburg, they were real trendsetters. And I'm from California. And so Blue Bottle, before it became this big phenomenon, they and were- And now just- they're
1: owned by Nescafe.
0: That It's so weird. But yeah. they were just like at the farmer's market. And they were roasting in a warehouse in Oakland, and it was just, like, the guy that started that company was always at the market. I think it was, I mean, I think that's so cool.
1: Yeah, Um. for a while, one of my best friends, Michael, um, was on a, ra- a route to self-discovery, or re-self-discovery, and he started roasting his own beans, and us, I, we don't know each other, In Your Mouth listeners, as m- most of my guests uh, on here. You know, this is new and this is a getting to know you. But um, we were we both met in classical music school. We went to Westminster Choir College, studied classical voice and I said to him, we should open up a coffee shop called Bel Canto Coffee and name all the roasts after like uh, famous like opera singers, depending on like what the roasts were like. And, you know, so there would be like a Renee Fleming roast or a Pavarotti roast or or something like that, you know,
0: I think you can still do it. And it, I mean, you're both named Michael. So will that get confusing or does it get confusing?
1: No, not at all. You know, because because we are very, very different. What are you crunching on over there? Sorry, there's some crunching in the background. (laughs) It's Chewy the pup, but let's get back on track here. If you want to uh, come and invest in Belcanto Coffee, I will take your money and open up a coffee shop. And I have a roaster, uh, a roaster in my back pocket. But moving right along, you know, to this day in gay history, Happy National Chocolate Covered Cashews Day. I don't even know where you get chocolate covered cashews if you even wanted to make them yourself. Did you know, Ginger, on this day in gay history, and I found that, you know, we celebrate a lot of gay history here, and today was a really, really big day and kind of hard to choose from, but this is actually one of my favorite little tidbits of gay history. In 1966, members of the Madachine Society stage a sip-in at the Julius Bar in Greenwich Village, where the New York Liquor Authority prohibits serving gay patrons in bars on the basis that homosexuals are disorderly. Society president Dick Leitch and other members announce their homosexuality and are immediately refused service. Following the sip in, the Mattachine Society will sue the New York Liquor Authority... Although no laws are overturned, the New York City Commission on Human Rights declared that homosexuals have the right to be served. Now, this is very important because this is one of the events that led up to the Stonewall riots. Um, Helen Buford, uh, who owns Julius Bar, has been on the pod before. She is a friend to me now um, and a beautiful soul. Uh, We talked about my mother's birthday. Was it last week? Week before last uh, I took my mother to Julius. She bought her a cake. I was like, "What? What's happening?" We wholeheartedly support Julius and the GoFundMe here on this pod, but it's so—it's um, just so interesting that this was one of the events that led up to the Stonewall riots.
0: That's that's incredible, and like you know, it really makes you think about all the people that laid the foundation for. Um, acceptance and you know, really basic human rights. I uh, there's so many different events. You know, everybody kind of talks about the same ones, and so that's that's really amazing. I, yeah, uh,
1: and it's a, it's important to hear because we hear about the Stonewall riots. We hear, and they were very very important, but there were events like this. Other people doing the work beforehand. You know, before the big blow up and the story goes is that they actually hit i think 3 or 4 bars in the city and julius was the last stop where they got uh refused and if you look it up google is your friend if you look it up there is a famous picture that's in the newspaper cuz i think the daily news or the times were present cuz i guess they knew this was happening of the bartender covering the drink wow. and yeah And so it hangs in uh, Julius Bar now, alongside a picture of yours truly um, as well. So it's iconic. And shout out to Julius Bar um, for surviving through the pandemic. And, you know, we're going to get into a little bit of, you know, uh, what what the future of restaurants look like as well with you, just because, as head chef of a really amazing restaurant, I think it's uh, really important to talk about, but I want to start at the beginning um, and talk about where your love of food began and how that came to be.
0: For me, you know, I was born in Alaska in, you know, in a, like, woodsy upbringing, and then I was moved to the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, But my parents always had a real passion for ingredients, and my mom was an avid gardener, we had a lot of fruit trees in our yard. We had, um, she was always growing tomatoes. I could go in the backyard and just like eat things off the vine. And I was super obsessed with strawberries and and any kind of fruit. Very obsessed. Um, and when I was a teenager, I was also like very into the environment. And um, growing up in California, there was always drought. We were like, my mom was, we'd have to take a shower with a bucket in the shower so she could save the water to water the garden. Um, And I, uh, I really absorbed that. And I became a vegetarian and then eventually a vegan. And in that day, in those days, in the 90s, there really wasn't a lot of vegetarian and vegan food available readily available so i was like i have to learn how to cook right and um i ended up being so into it that i went to culinary school and i started culinary school as a portlandia level vegan um and you know i started working at the farmer's market in san francisco um, for a farm called star root actually in berkeley technically and um I started to learn about a lot of other farms in and including, you know, um, people that were had chickens or, or pigs or different animals. So once I moved to New York and I started at Barbudo, um, my philosophy evolved a little bit. And for me, you know, it wasn't so much, it was about local and seasonal and understanding where your ingredients come from. And, um, you know, making sure that you're supporting farms that are, like, doing it the right way. uh,
1: I want to interrupt you for a quick second, because more often than not, like, the average listener or the average um, cook, you know, or the home cook, you know, is not really thinking about, like, Local farms and farmer markets and, you know, like in our daily lives, it's like we have to go to work. I have, you know, I have this dog in my house now that I got to take care of. And then I was like, oh, my God, dinner is like, what am I having? Okay, I'll pick up a rotisserie chicken and Rachel Ray it somehow or or something like that. And we're not thinking the locality of it all. Also, sometimes at least I find in this city that the locality of it all means more expensive, right? Because it has to be driven in and, and whatnot. Why is it important? Let's start there.
0: Well, I would say just from a perspective of the quality of the ingredients, like if you go to the market and you buy asparagus or radishes or something like that, it's going to be way more flavorful. It's also going to last so much longer. You you know, when you're going to the supermarket and you're like key foods or whatever it is, and you're buying asparagus, it's often been picked way before. So one thing that I found from the farmer's market is that you can keep the things in your fridge so much longer. And so you get a much better shelf life, but also you will find that a lot of those seasonal vegetables are actually cheaper at the farmer's market. And in New York City, they're all over the place right now. I will say in the winter, you're going to see potatoes, carrots and onions, and that's going to be about it. Um, But one thing that's really cool is the farmer's markets take the EBT cards. You know, you can use the food stamps or the... um, those credits towards the market, which I think is amazing. And they're like, they're all over the boroughs.
1: I, I didn't even realize that, that, oh, and why would I? Cause um, I'm just not on EBT, but sure. um, that's a, that's a really interesting tidbit that I didn't realize that, uh, that uh, that program extends to the farmer's markets. And um, yeah, wow. I, I didn't even realize, I actually don't even know how that works um, just because I, I, blessed and fortunate enough not to have to be on an EBT sort of program at this time in my life. You know what I mean?
0: Totally. And so for me, I've always been a big supporter of Holy Apostle Soup Kitchen in Chelsea. I don't know if you know them, but they're on uh, 10th or no, they're on 9th and uh, in in Chelsea. And they're also a very inclusive um, group. They were, you know, hate a safe haven during Stonewall riots. And they were, they've just like, they're a really cool organization, but we were doing a program there that was a food pantry. And I got, that's how I started to learn a lot about the farmer's markets and the EBT program. But in that food pantry, we were incorporating local and seasonal ingredients. Um, And, you know, it's so important that All communities are able to have access to like good nutritious food. And I think it's important too, to support those local vendors and communities. You were saying like it it costs more because it gets driven in, but really you're, we're flying stuff from all over the world, right? We're getting uh, blueberries from Chile and we're getting like out of the season. So you're getting something that's like less good coming from across the world, and it does make a big impact. But I think we we as the food community have to an obligation to help make that more accessible to people in all, you know, fine, like finance levels.
1: Yeah, for sure. Now, pivoting really quickly, because it seems like you do a lot of work for the community, not only the food community, but it seems like I'm getting a feeling you're doing some work for the LGBTQ community and In Your Mouth listeners. You know the stereotype of it all. I know you out there have heard buzzwords: Portlandia, vegan, all sorts, <laughs> <laughs> all sorts of buzzwords. But do not be fooled, right? Chef Ginger Pierce has a lovely husband and two wonderful children here. Why is it important to like kind of extend your services beyond yourself to this community?
0: Well, to to be real with you, I I am married to a heterosexuals cisgender man but Mm -hmm. I do not identify as a heterosexual woman I'm I'm very fluid um and I I definitely you know I have two children but we also raise them with this very openness like they get pedicures they wear nail polish they can put on makeup like we are super open and I think for me too I've had a lot of um, back and forth with whether I identify feminine or masculine. And um, I, in, in food and in the kitchen, I've often gone very masculine in order to avoid like sexual assault or harassment, because that, when I was starting out in kitchens, I was often the only woman. And then, you know, after I had my first child, I, I identified way more feminine because my body changed, right? And I was just feeling that side of myself. I'm a big fan, do you know Elok, who's a a person that is wonderful and is uh, like very, you know, non-binary. And I just, I wrote a book called uh, Beyond the Gender Binary, and it's it's really amazing. But that too opened me up a lot to realize that we don't need to be one way or the other we can really as people embrace all sides of it and and really the concept of gender is just bullshit it's like you should be who you are and you should feel free to be who you are and so to me how that translates into the kitchen is we need to really uh, make that a part of our culture by number one stopping the idea that like you know i love that companies are moving away from having Women have these things they can wear, and men have these things they can wear. And is it acceptable for women to have nail polish or whatever? Because, like, that's very important that we're, we're having that within our companies. But it's also just making people feel supported and comfortable and um, listening to what they need. And so, the, you know, the culture of the kitchen previously was very much like aggressive. And very kind of bro-y, masculine.
1: It still is. Is it, is it not?
0: It Well, it depends on where you are. For me, no. I would say that I'm a very high energy person. So I bring a lot of like energy. But we are a very like mixed gender kitchen. And we are, um, we just don't, I don't allow that. I'm not, I don't want any of that. You know, if if that's the kind of energy you're going, you, we just can't have that energy in the space. And so a lot of the way that we operate is about making people feel included and comfortable um, and trying to design an environment that really supports the team. Because, you know, things, it's my belief, it should be mutually beneficial. Everybody should be contributing and everybody should be getting back
1: from it. Yeah, um, and that's amazing. And you know what? This is a story we haven't heard on this podcast before. Uh, a story of gender fluidity, a, a story of, you know, finding yourself and being who you are and comfortable in that skin in this way and not defining yourself, you know, as as wa- uh, like putting yourself in a box, is what I is what I'm trying to say here, um, and so a thank you for that, right? Because that's I think important to hear, especially for you know we I often say ad nauseum at this point that it's important to hear these stories, and you never know who's listening, and and this this piece of this right of this community and embracing that because I think it's also a piece of. A piece of identity, identity politics or whatever you want to call it, that people really don't understand, you know, because yeah. it doesn't fit in a box.
0: Totally. And, and you know, I'm super inspired by people like Billy Porter, who are just like very authentically themselves. And for me... I spent so much of my life trying to figure out what I was supposed to be within the confines of all of these concepts and ideas built and constructed by society. And the more that I just am who I am and expressing, you know, who I am went in that. Cause sometimes I feel hyper feminine and sometimes I feel hyper masculine. And like, I, I, If you just let yourself be what you are, I just feel so much better. It was like something like literally chains being taken off of me because I realized, you know, it wasn't until I started to see this a lot more in pop culture that it really I was like, wow, other people feel like this. You know, there's other people that um, are not necessarily it's just there's so much more gray area. Everybody wants things to be very black and white and it's and there's just so much great more greater. Do you watch um RuPaul's drag race?
1: Uh no. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> um,
0: so so I'm a big fan and and this season, um, I know it can be problematic because of the women, you know, it's a it's very specific kind of um, female beauty, but got Mick this season. It's just been a revelation i really love uh, miss Simonier this season too i just love and um and Rose as well candy muse you know i think is she's uh she's something really special but um the looks haven't been there as much for me uh but yeah got mick has just been it's just it's so delightful to see um, someone just coming into themselves in a way, and and we we've, we've watched it in this season as kind of a journey.
1: Yeah, and the the interesting thing about Gottmik, and now in your mouth, listeners, if you are not Drag Race friends, Gottmik is I think identifies as non-binary, but she is they are transgender <laughs> as well. Um, so you know, it's it, it's a lot to take in if you're not like you know if you're new to it you know <laughs> to figure out and then on top of it add the drag right it's it's but,
0: but that's i feel like that's what makes it such a revelation is because you have a transgender man that is doing female drag and so that this
1: identifies is, as non-binary it I'm identifies pretty-
0: non-binary so it just flips the whole fucking thing on its head but that is what, there's so much beauty in this world, and that is so beautiful. Exactly.
1: And, and the whole storyline of, of them being like, I never felt right because I am, I feel like a feminine presenting man. Yeah. And that, that storyline about, about like, I can be all these things and it's fine. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. absolutely fine. Uh, who do you think is going to win?
0: I mean, I think it's really tough. I, I honestly, to me, right now it's between Rosé and and Gottmick, Even though Rosé's last look was just like, I don't know what was going on with that makeup, the tartan, <laughs> the little mermaid hair, like what was going on? I love you, Rosé. Maybe you'll listen to this one day. But I, I also love Simone. Simone, to me, is just the most gorgeous, um, regal, like, uh, wonderful person, so vulnerable. Such a beautiful story there. So it's tough. It's a tough call. I think I will discount Candy, even though I like Candy is just a lovely person, and I just the looks have not been there for me.
1: Yeah, so. Candy Candy storyline is important because of. Especially because of what she said uh, towards the end, and once again, we're, we're just we took a left down this yellow brick <laughs> road, <laughs> and I'm okay with it. I'll bring us back, but Candy's storyline is important because of what she said about how there's loud, feminine, you know, Afro-Latino kids like growing up in the barrio, right? And it's okay, right? And giving giving that platform, and once again, it's kind of what the this podcast has turned to into as well, hearing those stories. You never know. And it's what she said. You never know who's watching. So if you're out there and you're listening to this, you know, it's I'm here representing you. It's it's the whole representation matters. It's the whole uh, you coming on here and, you know, telling me or me getting to know you and being fluid and being open and about that and being open about, like, how you feel, like... Uh, you know, sometimes masculine, sometimes feminine. How you raise your children, you know, in in a very like just non gendery sort of way, is important, right? And yes, the food is important, and we love the food, right? But the food is a vehicle, as food often is. Yes, wait, I'm roaring it back, Munoz, right? The food is a vehicle to get these stories, right? It's it's around the dinner table, right? Yeah. All all sorts of major things happen around food, center around. Food, right? But and speaking of things centering around food, I think now would be a great time to take a little bit of a break, right? Because we're off the rails anyway. To introduce you, Ginger, to my favorite part and the audience's favorite part of the pod—a little something we like to call food news updates. Food update. news, food up. news. Ooh, honey, you ain't ready, girl. Spill the tea. Food news updates. Snakes and lettuce. Shoppers in Australia find venomous snake in Aldi fresh produce bag.
0: I mean, I'm not surprised because Australia has like all the scary stuff, right? All the scorpions and snakes and spiders. So, you know, I'm I'm not really that surprised, I guess.
1: Could you imagine just like being in the kitchen at jams and just like <laughs> opening, you know, opening the, the mescaline? To like make your salad, and out pops a snake. That
0: would be really, but you know, I've saw, I've found some strange stuff in the lettuce anyway. So we, you know, farms you get little creatures sometimes. You get
1: like worms and things, right? Because yeah. especially if you're buying like if if you're sourcing locally from these farms and whatnot.
0: In, in an early restaurant that I looked at or worked at, I also would often find beers in the lettuce containers because the line cooks would hide them there. <laughs> and, like, the place to put the secret beers.
1: Yeah, ghost I beers.
0: Own drinking at work ever, but that's what they did there, so.
1: Ghost beers. Uh, yes, <laughs> I used to work for a very popular restaurant where we we weren't treated the best, so we just, you know, treat your employees well, folks, because if you treat I'll- your employees well, they will work for you as opposed to decide to say fuck it and drink on the job. And not care, and so you know we would work like four or five doubles in a row or three doubles in a row, and just be over it and while we're po- polishing glassware, we would have beers under the napkins in the um, in the glass lugs the the crates that hold the glasses in the dishwashers in your mouth. listeners, if you're not familiar with the restaurant speak but and we would call them ghost beers because we'd be polishing silverware, but we wouldn't be because they'd be covered by the napkin. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah.
0: You gotta have your
1: tricks, right? Right? I mean, so um, a Sydney couple received a fright when they discovered a rare venomous snake in a bag of supermarket lettuce. The juvenile pale-headed snake Hoplocephalus Bitoquitrius or however you say that, you know, I speak Latin now, was tucked into a two-pack of Cos lettuce, which Alexander White and his partner, uh, Amelie, Nia purchased from an Aldi supermarket in Sydney. They had to call Animal Control, but you know what? Fret not, because they washed the lettuce thoroughly and used it in a wrap.
0: That's terrifying. That actually is terrifying, now that I think about this venomous snake. But I guess if they're Australian, they're used to it. They're everywhere there.
1: Yeah, apparently the the reptile was... Yeah, the the reptile was twenty centimeters long and appeared to have been sleeping peacefully in the lettuce.
0: Oh <laughs> That's crazy,
1: right? That's crazy. I I mean I don't I don't know I don't know about this. It's, well, you know what? All I'm going to say is I I don't buy enough lettuce for there to be a, a snake in them. But hopefully, I never open a bag of kale to find. <laughs> find a snake or anything else in there Amazon finds another way into your kitchen with a plenty it's new food brand have you heard about it no this?
0: but I I'm kind of like not so into Amazon so but you know everybody's you got to do what you got to do but again I think trying to buy small and support local and um, it's it's you know,
1: the way to go. Yeah, for sure. I brought this up because I found this um, really interesting. This article comes from The Takeout. And it says, all of our at-home snacking made things a lot harder for the restaurant industry in 2020. But it's been a boon for food companies that were able to pivot to or already offered online grocery stores. Amazon, of course, has been taking notes on pandemic shopping habits and developing new ways to infiltrate our kitchen cabinets. Market Market Watch notes that Amazon's grocery sales soared 52% in 2020. And so now they have launched a new food brand called A Plenty which will sell snack items like pita chips, crackers and mini cookies as well as condiments, frozen foods and pantry staples.
0: Yeah, I mean, we we don't need for Amazon, I feel like. <laughs> but they because it's like they don't they have enough at this point.
1: Yeah, I was just about to say like don't you have enough Amazon? Aren't you making billions by the minute?
0: I'm gonna plug this company that I love called The Good Trends, um, which sells snacks and they're all by small batch vendors. And there's um, a few on there, like there's these Guell bites, G-W-E-L-L, um, made by a person in Brooklyn who she is amazing. And they're like super natural matcha bites, different things. They also sell fine and raw chocolate. Which is made in uh, Bushwick, Brooklyn. So this is all like small batch snack items. Good alternative to what it sounds like they're doing.
1: True, very very true. I don't know if I'm here. I don't really shop for food on Amazon. Yeah. I think. I think um, personally, uh, I even though I have ordered like online grocery shops, like especially in the height of the pandemic when we weren't uh, going out. But yeah. I find I find it weird that somebody else is grocery shopping for me. It also is like triple the price.
0: Totally, and especially
1: they, in this city,
0: you don't get the good stuff. You like if you buy produce, they'll. It's like they smashed it into, uh, you know, the strawberries. They just like.
1: Yeah, you know. no one's checking, and that's what and that's what I find yeah. weird about it. Even yeah. though the first guy who delivered to me during the pandemic, because it was like. It was the really, really scary point. I remember going down to get the groceries, and I had extra masks and gloves, and I just packed them all, and I, I gave it to him.
0: Yeah. And
1: he, he looked at me like I was nuts, and I was like, you need this. You're out there in the scary world.
0: Yeah, bless those people.
1: You know? So I don't know if we're here for this. Speaking of uh, chocolate, shout-out to Tony. Have you discovered Tony's Lonely.
0: Those are, I, I don't know about Chocolonely, but I know about Tony's, the big bars, right?
1: Yeah, it's one name, Tony's Chocolonely, it's oh,
0: I guess I never noticed that sub thing. I always just saw the big Tony's.
1: Yeah, so yeah. it's Tony, I used to, I was calling it Tony Chocolonely, but it's Tony Chocolonely's, <laughs> I was corrected. And um, they are, I guess, small batch chocolate as well. But I found out through them, and I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, uh, going full circle to like kind of fair trade coffee. They try to do fair trade chocolate. This chocolate is not cheap by any stretch of the imagination, but it is very delicious. But on the inside of the wrapper, they explain that they're also trying to end child and slave labor on cacao farms, which I didn't even know was a thing, but happens because of big chocolate companies, like Big Pharma, but big chocolate Um, Is paying such a reduced price that like these people like, you know, do anything just to get the business, which includes child and slave labor on these cacao farms?
0: It's it's despicable. And that's another reason, like, I know some things can cost more and and we are like, oh, this chocolate bar is going to be $4 more than this other one you know, that's crazy, but it's like, oh, but then you don't have to support slavery. <laughs> like it's, it's, you know, it seems like, oh, it's worth the extra $4. And, and one thing people don't consider with like coffee and chocolate, it can only be grown in very specific regions, right? And as climate change continues to, to progress, we're gonna see the less and less. So it's gonna become a commodity that is less available and this potentially could get worse in a perspective of how people in these regions are treated, et cetera, and, and how they're you know, capitalized upon. So it's important yeah. as consumers, we vote with our dollars. When you, oh my God, a squirrel just ran up the <laughs> window, but uh, New York City, right? Um, we, we vote with our dollars. You really are, when you spend money, you're sending a message about what is okay. You really are. and It's, and I emphasize it's very,
1: it. very true. And listen, I do not make a lot of money here by any stretch of the imagination. But I certainly pick and choose when, when I spend my money on, you know, higher priced items like this chocolate, right? Which is so delicious. Uh, not a sponsor of the podcast, but I'm happy to talk about them. Um, and, you know, my friend Jennifer and I have a saying when we buy like, you know, like the organic chicken or something that we're worth it. You're worth it, you for know. Sure. Like, so I am worth that chocolate. Right. And you know what? Like, who knows? Maybe Amazon. This is helping somebody. Some. I. I just hope for good things to come out of this. A plenty from Amazon. And last but not least, and I found this really interesting: the list of free stuff that you can get with your COVID nineteen vaccine card. Have you seen the, certain companies? Uh,
0: you can. So you can get. So if you've been vaccinated, you can get free stuff, is
1: what he, it is. Pretty much. There are six companies so far that will give you free things.
0: What
1: is it? Um, so uh, Budweiser is one of them, right? You um,
0: get people back out there partying. Right, right? yep.
1: Yeah. So Budweiser has unveiled a beer on Bud.com, a site where users can upload proof of vaccination in exchange for $5 in beer money. Wow,
0: that's pretty cool.
1: Right? That's, a, that's so funny. Um, so Good So You sells nutritional juice shots and uh, filled with pro- probiotics. And you can go sign up for a voucher to get a free juice shot.
0: I'm going to do that probably. That sounds great.
1: Yeah. Sam Adams set up a hashtag called Shot for Sam. where the first 10,000 people on Instagram or Twitter who posted evidence of vaccination Will be awarded seven dollars through Cash App. Oh, I could use seven dollars. I'll take that. Yeah. Yeah, I love that, Nathan's. Um, yeah, Nathan's hot dogs, but you have to go to Coney Island. Uh, If you go, if you go to
0: (laughs) the, gotta get a vaccination to go there anyway, right?
1: Yeah, some I had to go to the Bronx to get mine. So yeah,
0: yeah, Coney Island is. Uh, a very unique place for anybody that's listening that is not a New Yorker. It is uh, something something else.
1: Yes, for sure. But they if you, come on, if you go in on the day of your second vaccination with your card, you can get a free hot dog. Nice. Um, Krispy Kreme, I think we've all heard of, right? If you bring in your vaccination card to any location, you can get a free donut one per day in either store or drive-thru.
0: I'm I'm very serious about donuts. I'm a I'm a glazed old fashioned loyalist, so I don't really get down with the Krispy Kreme. But everybody has their their preference when it comes to donuts.
1: Glazed old fa- isn't that what Krispy Kreme sells? Glazed old fashioned donuts?
0: No, no, no. So <laughs> glazed old fashioned is like a cake donut, and Krispy Kreme is a very light yeasted donut.
1: Oh, and
0: so to me, after you eat. Two donuts, you should feel physically ill. You should be unable to move in the best possible way. I I am very serious about donuts, but uh, I you know I grew up in like the Bay Area in the East Bay in Oakland. You can go to any corner, any like three a.m. You can get fresh fried donuts. There'll probably also be burgers and Chinese food, but like it's just part of the culture there. So I I like a glazed old fashioned. That for me, maybe a buttermilk. Oh. Maybe a cinnamon twist, but not oh. a yeast, not a yeast Krispy Kreme.
1: That's interesting. Uh, thank you for the donut education today, too. <laughs> <laughs> and the last and the last company that's going to give you something for your vaccine uh, card is a place called Drop Technologies. Drops is a service that lets you earn rewards for shopping through its app. Post a selfie with its hashtag #DropCovid. And you'll get a credit of 50 bucks. Look at that. So people are giving you money and food. Wow. I'm here for it. I'm and here for it.
0: Take what you can get, you
1: know? I mean, anything to get these people vaccinated to get yeah. us back to some sort of sense of normalcy. And with that, I think that's a great way to end. Food news update! <laughs> You're going to take that, all this news into the kitchen with you, Chef? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. What do you think the future looks like? Speaking of like coming back to the new normal, because I don't want to go back to the before time because no. so, so much was fucked up as is. Like,
0: never, ever, never n- again.
1: Never again. What, how, never again. What do you think the new normal is going to look like?
0: Well, I'm hoping, you know, that we can start out by protecting and taking care of our team. And like, that's the most important thing is building a business that can, you know, support the team, like serving wonderful food and, um, but really establish it in a way where, you know, you said you worked in restaurants, you know, how grating it can be. And I really truly believe it doesn't have to be like that. If you... Um, if you look at the way that things are operating, you can adjust them to, to take consideration of how it affects not only the guest but the people that are operating the business. And I think there needs to be more of a focus on that in, in the years to come. And I think COVID is a good opportunity to shift the focus to that because we have to keep people safe. And And we've done, you know, there's been a culture of like, you can never call out, right? If you call out, like, that's you're a bad person. And Oh and yeah. That that I, is.
1: I fully did a Christmas season in events with the flu. Yeah. And like doubles, and anytime I had a moment, like a free moment, there used to be a couch in like a storeroom, in the I'd go lay down for a minute and like sweat it out, and then just go, right? Because there was no calling out. How dare you? Call we. Out? we have-
0: we have to find a way to not only support the business to, to not be so jeopardized by this, but to ensure that people like, because all you do is get everybody sick. Then then you're just bringing this person in and you're going to infect the whole team and everybody's going to be sick and the quality of what everybody's doing is going to go down. So I think that's a, a cultural shift we need to have within hospitality um, but I'm also hoping that, from a consumer level, guests are more focused on ensuring that people have good quality of life that are working in these in the hospitality industry.
1: Because- well, ugh, I mean, that's I think that's the most important part. Um, you know, a yes, good quality of life, but b, you know, I I I've been saying a lot. If this time has taught us anything, it's a little bit of patience and grace. Right. But that's not what everybody really has been, you know, adapting to because I walked into a juice generation last week and some man was having a meltdown about his green juice for no reason. Yeah, You know,
0: yeah. I, I would say that we can all have more compassion and kindness. And so for me, when a guest because I've been working in front of the house a lot in, in pandemic because we just had to reset the labor model, right? Because we didn't have as many people coming back. We're trying to keep people more distanced. So I'm now the dishwasher slash barista slash line cook slash front of the house manager, right? And um, I have found so much that often if a guest is, is having an experience like that, it's not about the juice it's totally not about the juice. So, you know, if you are even more kind and compassionate, they usually mellow out, right? If you start to raise that energy level of like negative, 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 and everybody that's infectious, that is going to spread. So I really do believe that that sort of good energy, it has to come from the top down. If you have managers that are not engaging in a way that is like kind and compassionate then you're gonna have a team that has a big old ball of negativity and it's not to say that we should have like toxic positivity where you can never talk about things being not great like you should have an open forum where team members are able to give constructive feedback and we can talk about what's not working but you know we should embrace that kind of energy and feedback from our team and, and i think that's so important
1: yeah i mean the just going back to this juice generation uh, moment for a second that um these people in there are the nicest the <laughs> nicest team there is no reason to yell at them for yeah. anything and you know juice generations at least in the city are very tiny and um I was standing outside with some ladies and they were like, what is going on? And I, and I said to them, if he curses at them one more time, I'm going in. I'm yeah.
0: Going. As a guest, as a, a, another guest, I would call that person out. Yeah. But I would try to like, you know, sir, this lovely person is, has done nothing to you. And,
1: and yeah. as I'm a like, dude, the, it's a, it's a green juice. Calm down.
0: The leader you know? in, the, in the business, I would insert myself and Absorbed, so my team wouldn't have to like deal with that because they don't deserve that they' no, don't they
1: don't that. and yeah. i've seen I've seen it in restaurants too. The few that I've been out now outside dining that my like, people get a little impatient, but I have to remind people, even some friends who haven't worked in this business I'm like this is this is one man running around look he they don't have a staff anymore yeah. this is one right. person. Taking care of 30 tables, give him a break. Yeah. Right. And we're just going to, we're just here for the long haul.
0: I will say that like 95% of people are lovely. Right. You know, you get the 5% that freak out. Like this woman, you, you know, you can't get your own sugar anymore. Right. So you have to like, because for the health department right now, you're not supposed to have these co mingling sugar packets and people reaching their hands in there. And this woman became so enraged that she couldn't like gather her own sugars and and you know it was like we want to give you whatever you want i will put as many sugars in your coffee as you want like there's no judgment here this is a judgment free zone but um you know sometimes it's just hard there's some people that are very good at adapting to change and there's some people that it's much more difficult for So I often find myself going too deep into this psychological, like what happened to this person that makes them so upset about their sugars, you know, and try to have a lot of compassion for them. But I think the more that we collectively do that in in all of our spaces, um, the kinder the world can be. It doesn't mean you should take shit from anyone, right? It doesn't mean that you deserve it or you have to do that, take that, but um, I think being more patient and understanding is is important.
1: It's definitely the key. And that's and I guess that's the life lesson for today and always. Just, you know, a little a little patience and grace, you know, will will get you through, you know, great. most great. most or any of the situations um that you'll be dealing with as we slowly come out of all of this. This has been so great. I love getting to know you. I love that. You know, um, on a whim, I was outside having brunch and then this all kind of fell into place. Um, I love that you're part of my In Your Mouth family now. Um, Thank you so, so much for coming on the pod. I feel like we can talk for hours at this point.
0: I think we could. And it's been a true pleasure. And um, I'm so excited to know about your show now. And like really Denovan and Andre and like once you once you said those two those are just two of my favorite people so um well,
1: it was so funny because your I think she was the food and beverage Rachel. manager Rachel yeah, food food director, yeah. um I was just waiting in line to go to the restroom and she asked me about my experience and I had mentioned that I knew Devin and she uh, she asked how, and then I said the podcast. And then she went to uh, show me Shaquanda's hot sauce. And I said, oh, already know about it. And Rachel looked at me and I said, well, I'm the... You know, not to toot my own horn, but to toot my own horn for a second. Uh, this is the only podcast that's doing this, that's giving uh, LGBTQIA people, like, a platform to... You know, and we're small, but we're mighty. So, like, I have... I have my butterfly net, and I'm out here catching, catching you all one by one to to bring into my village, you know, no so deal. we can live so we can live happily, you know, and, and gather everyone together, you know, to like take over the world here. So, uh, and then Rachel was like, "Wait a minute, wait a minute," and then she introduced us, and now and now it's history, and the love affair has begun. <laughs> Love it. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. This is a great, this is such a great day. And I'm so uh, happy and blessed that you agreed to come on. Tell the people where they can find you if they want to find you. Uh,
0: so, Executive Chef, uh, One Hotel Central Park, Jam's Restaurant, 58th Street and 6th Avenue. Oh my God, where am I? Near Central Park. I'm also on Instagram, but I'm kind of on the social media cleanse, but I kind of check it every once in a while. So Chef Ginger J Pierce, P-I-E-R-C-E, like you pierce your ear, and I don't do any other social media, so that's it.
1: Oh, awesome. Awesome. Go send her all the love. If you're in the city or you live in the city. Uh, the outdoor dining is lovely there because you can kind of see the park. But it's best. It's really the best for uh, people watching for sure. And they sell there's a street vendor selling fake purses. That's a whole nother. <laughs> there's a whole nother route to go down there about child and slave labor that we don't want to go down. So do not buy fake purses if you can't not afford
0: the restaurant or uh, hotel. But, no, you know-
1: that But it's a New York City street vendor
0: experience, right? The authentic New York experience.
1: Yes, but I was, I had to educate a friend on that too about like that yeah. whole industry and how that like supports sex trafficking and all sorts of things in, in the weirdest of ways. And so uh don't support that, but do support the <laughs> restaurant because um, uh, oh, yeah, because I was going on this whole, like, it's good for people watching. Like, there's all sorts of characters, and it's it's a very New York moment, and you can see the park in the distance, and the food is lovely. If you go for brunch, I definitely recommend the egg sandwich on the pretzel bun. It was everything for sure. And other than that, y'all, get out there, get some fresh air, get your exercise, um... This puppy is definitely keeping me in check and out in the streets uh, and not attached to this chair in 120 square feet of Times Square. And other than that, you know, uh, patience and grace is all I'm going to say to you out that. And thank you for listening to In Your Mouth.